0: Welcome to you. My name is Alan Dice. I'm one of the pastors here at Newport Church, and we feel like you're not here by accident or coincidence this morning, but God has a special purpose, and God has a special message for each one of you here this morning. Um, Many of you know that we've been going through a sermon series called Life's Big Questions. If you want to get information about that, there are postcards on the back table. And we are in Sunday number four of this sermon series. We started out with, how do I know there's a God? Number two was, how do I know the Bible is true? Number three was, why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? And so today we come to number four, which is, why would a good God allow suffering? And these are some of the basic hard questions that, that people ask have asked all the way through time and, and all the way around the world, people have asked these questions. If you missed some of the earlier teachings, they are on the church website, newportchurch.net. You can uh, get them by audio, you can get them by, by video. So I encourage you to go to the church website and you can hear them or, or listen to them, subscribe to the, to the podcast as well. So today we are on the subject, why would a good God allow suffering? I don't know if you've noticed that there are certain really, really important events that happen in life where that date just gets like implanted, imprinted in your mind. Dates like... um, September 11th, 2001. Yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a good one. Uh, dates that, that we, we remember, dates that our nation or world remembers, or, or dates that, that we remember personally that, that have uh, somehow been burned into our memories. For example, here in this church, some examples would be October 5th, 2011. October 9th, 2012, July 5th, 2006, June 3rd, 2011, October 15th, 1996, June 23rd, 2003, March 21st, 2005, November 20th, 1997, February 10th, 2006, For some of you, those are just dates, and they make no sense to you whatsoever. For some of you, they're important, one or more stand out to you as important dates. Dates when a loved one passed away. For me, those dates are October 15th, 1996, and February 10th, 2006, dates when... The first one was when my daughter passed away. The second was when my first wife, Lucinda, passed away. Some people might argue, if God were good, this is from C.S. Lewis, if God were good, he'd wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he'd be able to do what he wished. But the creatures... That, that's us. The creatures aren't happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. This is what some people might argue about God, that because, because uh, good things aren't necessarily happening in the world and, and, and uh, God's might isn't, isn't being showed, that, that God either lacks goodness or power or both. So that uh, the argument goes that a good God would not allow suffering and evil and a powerful God would exercise all his power to do what he wanted. And so we, we wrestle with these questions. How could a good God allow sickness, grief, abuse, disease, injustice, divorce, untimely death, disaster, failure? I mean, for our nation here this year, we've had, you know, flooding, flooding. 10 inches of rain in in some parts of Pennsylvania in Lancaster County this year. We've had a sexual abuse scandal in Pennsylvania in in parts of the Catholic Church. We've had hurricanes Florence and Michael. We've had we've had uh, in New England where, where 20 people some of them just newlyweds who died from a horrible limo crash. And and we asked questions like How does this make sense if we have an all-powerful, loving God? How does this make sense? Why would God allow this to happen to us? Why does God allow suffering and pain to happen to me? I don't understand. And uh, today I'm drawing a bit from the book by Dr. James Dobson, When God Doesn't Make Sense. I really highly recommend that book. resource for some of you who may be struggling or going through a, a hard time today. So a lot of people wrestle with the question, why does God allow things like this to happen to me? Why does God allow things like this to happen in our world? And, and I have seven points here this morning. Uh, hopefully you have the orange handout uh, sheets that came along, sermon notes. If you didn't get some, there are some on the back table. So number one, uh, I really want to emphasize to you this morning is that, is that God loves you. That, that's the most important uh, piece that you can, you can remember this morning, is that, is that God loves you. He's not against you. He doesn't hate you. He's not standing over you, you know, ready to, to squash you like a bug. Sometimes people think that, that God's just up there staring down and glaring down and, and ready and willing to, to, uh, to squash us. One writer says that for reasons that are impossible to explain, we human beings are incredibly precious to God. Sometimes we don't even understand why God would choose to love us. We just know that he does, he does love us and he does care for us. Uh, for example, it says in, in the book of Job in the Old Testament, chapter 7, what is mankind that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention, that you examine them every morning and test them every moment? And Psalm chapter 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So we come to realize that, that for some reason, God chose to, to love us and God chose to care about us and, and God chose to pay attention to us. And so it's not like this, uh, as C.S. Lewis said, it's not a senile benevolence of, of like this old grandfather up in the sky with a long white beard. Uh, it's not cold philanthropy of uh, of a uh, uh, perhaps perhaps someone who's who's uh, uh, just paying attention uh, legally because he has to. Not it's not the uh, the love of of a host who feels responsible for the comfort. Of his guests. But C.S. Lewis said, God is the consuming fire himself, who, uh, the love that made the worlds. And, and we don't uh, grasp how, how much and how wide and, and how deep God's love is for us, but uh, we have to come to the point sometimes of just realizing he loves us. We don't know why, we don't understand uh, the depth of his love, but that we come to the point of understanding. He just dearly, dearly loves us, so number one god, God loves us number two something's wrong i I used this uh, I used this story before, but I always have to laugh at it of the the children who played a joke on on their father as he was sleeping, they took uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if you ever smelled Limburger cheese. It it smells really bad, and and they took Limburger cheese and they and while he was sleeping, they they rubbed some in his mustache while he was while he was taking a nap, and and he wakes up and he he looks around and he he smells and says, "Wow, this room really stinks," you know, and then he he walked out into the next room and he's looking around and says. Wow, the whole house stinks. <laughs> and then he walked out outside the house and he's walking around the lawn and he says, the whole world stinks. <laughs> Not realizing what, what the kids had done. Something is wrong with us. Something is wrong with our world. It stinks. And, and the Bible says in the book of Genesis, where we read of, of God's creation, God describes it in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. God created the world and God said, It's good. It is good. It doesn't stink. It's good. Yeah, the Bible uh, describes the, God uh, creating, creating the world and, and saying it is, it is good. And then God chose to do something with the creation of man, a woman, that, that he didn't choose to do with anyone else that he created. He chose to give mankind the freedom to choose him or reject him, to obey him or disobey him. You know, God could have easily created humans with no freedom, but then we'd just been mere robots who, who uh, were, did exactly as we were told with no choice and no freedom. And so you know the story from Genesis, how mankind uses that freedom, uses that free will, and rebels, Adam and Eve rebel uh, in pride against God. And so as a result of that rebellion from Adam and Eve, all of mankind and all of creation come under the curse of sin. This is the, what, what I'd call the, the second stage of human history. The first is Genesis 1 and 2, where they were living in the Garden of Eden. The second is Genesis chapter 3, where we're living under the curse of sin. We're still in that second stage of human history today. Uh, where we're living under that curse of sin that's all around us. This curse isn't permanent, for we look forward to the third stage of human history that's coming, when Jesus returns and, and creation is cleansed and purified of the sin curse. The third stage of human history is, is the breaking of that sin curse on the earth. And, and we'll see what in a minute what that universe looks like without that curse in operation. But today, 2018, October 14th, we live in the second stage of human history under that curse of sin. And along with that curse of sin come sickness, come death, come murder and hatred and crime. So do wars and cancer, Down syndrome, disasters, grieving, dying, hurricanes, tornadoes, along with that curse of sin comes all the all the bad effects of sin that that, uh, that come with it so why do we suffer i would say four reasons that we suffer number one we suffer because of our own sin number two we suffer because of our own foolishness and our own mistakes number three we suffer because of the sins of others all the way back to adam and eve um some of you were aware of uh, Friday night around Harrisburg on Interstate 83, there was this gigantic crash of cars, um, tractor-trailer plows into like nine or ten other vehicles, some were on fire, a uh, number of people died, number of people were injured, and uh, it's been discovered now in the news that the driver of the tractor-trailer was, was uh, driving under the influence and uh, has now been arrested. Uh, so we suffer because of the sins of other people, don't we? Sometimes that, that is uh, why we suffer. And sometimes we suffer just because we live in a sin-cursed world all the way back to Adam and Eve. We suffer because we live in a Genesis 3 world. We suffer because of our own sin and the sins of others. And so we address this question of why, the why question. In spite of knowing all about Genesis, about sin, about curses, we still ask why. Why am I sick today? Why am I suffering today? Why has this happened to me today? Why has this happened to my family today? I've asked those same questions. Many of you have asked those same questions as well. And sometimes God reveals what happened behind the scenes. As we read the book of Job, we learned all about the things that happened in heaven that led to Job's suffering. How the Bible describes how Satan asked God's permission to test Job. And wow, Job did suffer, didn't he? I mean, in one day, he lost all of his children. They all, they all were killed. And he lost all his wealth. Uh, his wealth was robbed from him by, by all these marauding bands of, of enemies And then his health was taken away, and he had really had nothing left. He was brought down to the the very bottom of his life. He suffered. He was living in in misery. And like many of us would, Job was a godly man, and he asked God why. And we realize that sometimes God reveals what's happening. Many times he doesn't reveal the whys and the background about what's happening. Sometimes he reveals it, sometimes he doesn't. And since we believe in a loving God who is active and moving and working in our world, who hears our prayers, we believe in miracles. We believe in miraculous healing. We believe that God hears and and answers our prayers because we believe he's trustworthy and that we can have faith in him. Matthew chapter 18, the Bible tells us to pray. Pray. Boldly and persistently, over and over. Keep praying, keep praying. We're told in James chapter 5 to anoint the sick with oil for their healing. And, and we believe and we rejoice in, in healings and in, in miracles. But there are times that in spite of prayer and faith and anointing, the healings happen or, or the healings don't happen. We don't know why. We don't get an answer to the why question. Uh, from, my, from my own life, uh, many of you were here when my wife Lucinda was uh, in the hospital, Lancaster General Hospital, in 2006. In a coma, her organs were starting to shut down. And this church prayed. I mean, this church prayed amazingly. Uh, all the people who were there couldn't fit into her room in, in, in the IC uh, intensive care unit. And so they gave us the conference room, and and uh, there were too many people to fit in the conference room. So we were out in the hallways of the of the hospital having prayer meetings and praying and praying and praying. Uh, we we prayed as much as we could. I mean, I don't think there was anything undone that that we uh, could have done that that uh, we should have done. We we prayed and we did all that we could. But. There are times, in spite of prayer, in spite of faith, in spite of anointing, the miracle doesn't happen, and, and we're, we are left with asking the question, why? James Dobson says simply, the Lord does not typically typically rush in to explain what He's doing. And, and I heard another writer um, who, who said that even if God did explain why, did you ever consider that your brain might not be able to comprehend his explanation? Because his motivation and purposes are so much beyond what our brains can handle. Isaiah 55 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For also 1 Corinthians, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So we, we wrestle with the why question. And, and like Job, we can, we can address our, our questions to, to God and pour out our frustrations to him. But we always come back to him in, in an attitude of faith and pour out our questions to him, knowing still that he loves us and has our good in his mind. Number four is looking a little bit more at sickness and healing and how Christians respond to sickness. And and I believe that there are sometimes there there are extremes that we uh, ought to avoid if we we, uh, encounter. The first is the sovereignty of God extreme, which says that God is all powerful and God will do what he chooses, and I can't choose that. So uh, I just need to accept God's decisions because he's, he's sovereign and, and I have no responsibility to, to do anything. And I feel like that's probably an unhealthy extreme there. And the other one is, is going way far the other way in, in Word of Faith that says that if I have enough faith and if I get rid of unbelief, I'm guaranteed to be healed 100%. And, and unfortunately, I think the church at times has, has um, hurt people, by, by telling them they just didn't have enough faith. And if you had enough faith, uh, everything would, would change in your life. Yes, I believe we ought to have faith. Yes, I believe that we ought to believe for miracles. Yes, I believe that, that God, God is sovereign. Um, miracles and healing don't happen without God's power and without God's presence. But we have a role to play too. So there's, there's God's part in it and there's our part in it. And, and so God's word tells us that God hears and answers our prayers. So we must pray. And God tells us we must have faith and get rid of unbelief. God's word tells us to anoint and pray for the sick. And so God has a role to play, and we have a role to play. If, if I uh, pray for 100 people and one of them gets healed, well, praise God. One of them got healed anyway. If I don't pray for anyone to be healed, maybe no one will be healed. So we've got to pray, we've got to anoint the sick, and we've got to believe in, in faith and get rid of, get rid of unbelief. Uh, so I believe that, that we Christians uh, need to have a, a healthy balance in knowing uh, what, what is God's part and, and what, is, what is our part to play. And, and obey God and what He says in the Scripture about, about healing. Number five is the confusion trap. Because I believe the the biggest trap for the suffering Christian is confusion over unmet expectations or unanswered questions. I believe it's that pain and suffering doesn't cause the greatest damage to people and their faith. It's, It's confusion over how and why suffering happens is what destroys one's faith. Because when you think about it, people are able to withstand Enormous amounts of suffering if the suffering makes sense. People are even willing to face death if the circumstances make sense. So, you know, we hear stories of a, of a soldier jumping onto an enemy's hand grenade and giving his life. Why? To save the lives of his friends. We see and hear of martyrs, prisoners, missionaries who suffered and died because they believed in the cause. Or because they had faith that their suffering was worth it. By contrast, Christians, I believe, we can become confused or disillusioned with God when there's no apparent meaning to our suffering. So the Bible addresses suffering this way. James chapter 1, God allows us to go through hard times to test our faith and strengthen us. Difficult times build our faith or make us bitter. Yeah, I sort of consider hard times being like the weights for a weightlifter, for developing and strengthening the muscles of faith. Some of you are saying, wow, I, I've got some really big muscles of faith right now. Uh, being a Christian isn't it like this insurance policy that you're never going to have hard times. Uh, many believers suffer precisely because they're Christians. So you're not the only person. Or you're not the only Christian to have suffered. Millions of others have been there as well. And, and some scriptures that have strengthened me or comforted me throughout uh, the years have been something like Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. It means God doesn't leave you when trouble happens. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And I believe these scriptures point us to a strong and tenacious faith in God that holds on to Him no matter what. And to God who walks with us through each step of our journey. An ever-present help in trouble. Psalm ninety-one fifteen says, When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I think one of the greatest hopes and assurances for us as believers is that God's presence is always with us. He never leaves us. He's always with us. In good times and bad times, He's always there. He's always with us. God doesn't owe us smooth sailing, full explanations. God doesn't owe us apologies. He's majestic. He's holy. He's sovereign. God isn't our errand boy. He's not our magic genie. He's not our servant to be ordered around. Instead, we're called to serve Him. And when nothing else makes sense, He simply says, Trust me. Just trust me. I love the story from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, uh, the kind of faith that is illustrated by the the three young boys who who were shipped from uh, Israel, from from Judah to uh, Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. And in case you forgot the story, uh, in Daniel chapter 3, it is about the king of Babylon, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. How would you like to write that down on on your uh, uh, when you're filling out forms? King Nebuchadnezzar made uh, the Bible says made an image of gold, made this golden idol. Uh, Bible says Daniel chapter three, ninety feet high. Ninety feet high. I'm figuring that our ceilings here are about about twenty feet high. So this image of gold, this idol stood. Uh, more than four times the height of our, of our ceilings in here. So 90 feet high. That's a really tall idol. Out of gold, no less. And uh, set it up, uh, the Bible says, in the, in the plains of Babylon. And then he instructed, he brought musicians, and, and he made a, a federal law that when, when the music started playing, all the people in the nation, all the people who were nearby, had to, under penalty of death, had to bow down and worship this idol. And we don't quite understand what, what that means today because we don't have idols, at least uh, not physical idols that we set up in our houses anyway. We probably still have idols, but uh, uh, they they had uh, idols back then. They had false gods. They had, they had idols made of, of uh, all kinds of materials, and they would set up... Um, in their houses or set them up in public squares. So it really wasn't that big a deal for, for people who didn't worship the one true God. And so uh, the instruction was that when, when the music started playing, you had to bow down and you had to worship this idol, which meant you were putting all your faith, all your trust, all your hope in this hunk of, of gold that was standing there uh, and, and trust your, your whole life with it. Well, that was fine for everyone in Babylon, except for uh, the people who were worshiping uh, the one true God there in in Babylon, and and some of those people were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow down and, and worship this idol. And so it was reported to the king. The king was just furious that anyone would have defied his his order, and he he drags in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's interesting, if you read Daniel chapter 3, that that he goes over his commands again, just to make sure it's clear. Now, listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you know what what I'm expecting? And and he goes through the whole thing again. Uh, When you hear the music play, you're supposed to bow down and worship. Do you understand that? And if you don't bow down and worship, you're going to be thrown into a, a a burning furnace, a fiery furnace. Do you understand that? And and uh, I, I just love the the reply of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to to the king as a result of his his uh, warning them. And they they reply back to him. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So the, verse 17 is like the strong statement of faith. I know who God is, and I know what God can do, and I know that God can deliver me from this fiery furnace. I mean, you know, they were looking at death right there. They, they knew that they were standing there right in the face of death, and, and unless God did something amazing, they were going to die. But they were standing there uh, just declaring Uh, the goodness and the power of God. We know that God can deliver us. But then verse 18 is even better yet. Uh, Verse 18 says, Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. God can save us, but even if he decides not to, we will serve him anyway. Do you get that? We're going to serve him anyway, even if he decides not to save us. And, and the, the story goes, of course, that the king, as he watched uh, these three young men being actually thrown into the furnace by the strongest soldiers of, the, of Babylon, uh, the furnace had been heated seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. The soldiers who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire died because the the heat was so fierce as they approached approached the furnace. And, you know, they're being thrown into the furnace. And the king, as he watched the three young men being thrown into the furnace, he's watching, he's looking, and he announces that now he sees four men in the furnace. And they're just walking around. They're just walking around in the furnace, you know. They're not laying on the bottom, being being burned up. There's four of them in there now, and they're just they're just walking around. And not only that, the king says that the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. Huh? I wonder who that was. <laughs> we think perhaps that was uh, Jesus sent from heaven to to deliver them, or an angel, or or. Uh, you know, it was, it was someone sent to protect and deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the king calls, and the three young men come out of the furnace, walking out. And the Bible says they, they weren't singed, they weren't burned. There was not even the smell of fire or smoke on them. And they come up and stand in front of the king and uh the king recognizes that he come into the the presence of a god and a, a a being a higher power much greater than any god he'd ever encountered and so uh his command was uh simply to to allow anyone in the kingdom to to worship the god of heaven and uh Anyone who, who tried to prevent that was, was himself going to be executed. And so the king, maybe a little bit, comes to faith in God. Uh, we see the, the history of Nebuchadnezzar, that, he, that he's, he's got his ups and downs when he encounters God. But uh, I love this story because uh, of the attitude of faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then their declaration that we're going to serve God even if he doesn't come through the way we want him to come through. And, and I, I think about that time of uh, the story of, of whoever that son of the gods was, if it was Jesus, if it was an angel. I think, I, I'd like to believe it was Jesus who, who was walking around in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because I believe it, it's an encouragement for us that when we're walking through hard times, through fiery trials, through troubles that Jesus is there in the fire with you. He's there in the fire with you. I believe that's a hope, that's a comfort, that's a that's an awesome thing to to remember and to realize and to claim. God, I I know Jesus, I know that you're walking uh, through this through this fire with me. And then we also know that the curse of sin is going to end. And this is the the third stage of of history that, that is coming in the future. Because uh, Galatians chapter 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that, that curse that's on all creation, Jesus takes that curse on himself. And then Revelation 21, what's this world going to look like without a curse? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, pain, for the former things have passed away. Third stage of history is one without, without death, without pain, without crying, without grieving. Number six. James Dobson writes this interesting quotation. He says, Your arms are too short to box with God. What does that mean? Well, I haven't done much boxing. But I've been told... It's quite an advantage to be a boxer with long arms. Why is that? Uh, that way you can hit your opponent while standing out of reach of his fists, right? Yeah. So it's good to have long arms if you're a boxer. And so many people in the midst of trouble, trials, suffering, have tried to fight or reason or bargain or blackmail God into doing things their way. Job tried to bargain with God, reason with God, tried to box with God, basically. And and God replies to Job when Job was asking all these questions. God replies, hey, Job, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I created the seas? In other words, who do you think you are to question me? Our arms are too short to question God, to box with Him. In the midst of suffering, yeah, go ahead and express, pour out your emotions to God, pour out your troubles to Him, but then come back in faith and, and trust Him that He loves you and He has your goodness in His heart. And, and I would say also, don't forget those around you who've had significant losses. Because even, even years later, They will grieve when those dates come around. Some of you understand that. Don't hold back thinking, oh, if I mention their lost son or daughter, their lost spouse, their lost parent, if I mention that to them, it'll make them feel sad. But it's just the opposite. When when someone remembers my lost family members, I'm honored and I'm blessed that I'm not the only one who's remembering them. So, so don't hold back and, and always uh, walk alongside those who've had, who've had significant losses. So this morning, what are, what are next steps for, for each of us as we either deal with these questions on our own or, or help those around us who are, who are going through hard times? Next steps. First one. I believe we should should read or meditate on Psalm 46 and Psalm 91 and ask what new thoughts do we have about God's presence being with us at every, at all times, every day. Number two, pour out your pain and trouble to God because He's there, He hears, He cares. Number three, read Philippians 4. In what ways can you live a, better life of contentment, even though hard times come. Read Daniel chapter 3. How are you experiencing Jesus in the fire with you? And, and some of us, the fire is, is like uh, stre- stress at work. Some of us, the fire is, is uh, going through the stress of school. Some of us, the fire is, uh, for each of us, the, the fire of life is something different. But I love The challenge of of Daniel chapter 3, that Jesus is there in the fire with us. And how can we encourage others and point them to faith in God? And the fifth next step is to be ready. So that means, I believe to me, that means putting down deep roots of faith in God. Like a tree that puts down deep roots so that when the strong winds come, those deep roots are are holding that tree strong and secure. If you begin trusting him in the small things, you can also trust him in the big things. And then also being ready means living fully aware that life doesn't last forever. And each of us is just, this is depressing to say maybe, but each of us is just one breath or one heartbeat away from eternity in either either heaven or hell. You know, to you who are teenagers, to you who are young adults, uh, teenagers, 20-somethings, when I was young, I don't know, I had this attitude like I was going to live forever. I was like Superman. I would uh, live a long time, and, and death, was for, death was for old people. And, and it, it wasn't something that young people uh, had to deal with or, or had to face. And, and I've come to realize that, that that's not true, that even, even young people uh, face eternity. Even young people face, face death. So, so we live fully realizing and being ready, having, having our hearts ready before God, knowing that, that each day yeah could could very well be be our last and i want to i want to challenge you this morning and i want to lead you in a prayer this morning if you've uh perhaps uh felt like you've been far away from God for some time or or maybe you've never believed in Jesus as your lord and savior maybe you've been just been going through some really hard times and and feel like you you've been losing your faith in god or or believing. Uh, in his goodness this morning. I'd like to uh, call you back to to stronger faith in God. I'd like to call you this morning to uh, put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time if you've never done that. So would you stand your feet with me this morning? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for each person here, Lord. And, and Lord, you know. You know the fire. You know the trials that each person is is walking through today in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you Lord, that you're in the fire here with each one of us. You promise never to leave us, never to forsake us. We we thank you that uh, you are are with us each day. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we can put down deep roots of faith in you. Lord, I pray uh, this morning for those uh, who've been struggling with their faith, Lord, and, and feel like they've they've uh, wandered far from you, become disillusioned, become disappointed, become discouraged. And, and those who have, have uh, uh, wandered far from you, Lord, I've, I pray, Lord, that this morning would be a, a time, a turning point. This would be a deliberate time of turning back to you, putting new faith in you, putting down deep roots of faith in you. Uh, Lord, realizing and knowing that, that you are with us at each step of this journey and, and that you love us, you care for us. We begin trusting in you fresh and new for the first time and and Lord, I pray this morning for those who've who've never believed in you and and Lord for those who uh, need to need to come to you for for faith in you for the first time Lord I pray uh, Lord that uh, each person would, would uh, realize that today could be uh, the very last and, and that life doesn't last forever. And so we, are, we each of us, uh, face eternity. So, Lord, I pray today, Lord, that, that each person here would, would put faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, come into a rela- relationship with God the Father through Jesus, believing in, in Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Lord, thank you that we can come into relationship uh, with you uh, through Jesus. Lord, I, I pray for each person today that we would, we would come to deeper faith in you, that we would, uh, as, we, as we go through fiery trials, Lord, that we would, we would stand on your word, we'd stand on your promises. And Lord, I, I honor you today, Lord, uh, with what you have planned for us. I thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I'd like to invite our prayer ministers to come. We'd like to be here to, to pray with you. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we'd love to pray with you this morning. If, there's a, uh, if you'd like prayer for physical healing this morning, we'd like to pray for you. If there's a trial that you're walking through that's just been really difficult to bear, we'd like to stand in prayer with you this morning. So, Lord, I, I bless this church as we go from here today. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that the, the scriptures, I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would guard the, the Word of God that's been planted in our hearts today and, and would not let the, the enemy steal it away And any time. Lord, I pray that the Word of God would grow and flourish and produce fruit in our lives this week. Thank you, Lord. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray with you this morning.